Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Please pray with me. Holy God, as the psalm says, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Still our hearts and minds now that we might draw closer to your word and closer to you. Amen. Our first scripture reading is from Psalm 119. Uh, This can be found in your pew Bible, I believe on page 557. I did not bring my bulletin up, but it should be printed there. Um, And we are reading from Psalm 119, beginning at verse 97. Listen now for the word of God. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn away from your ordinances, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Now when he came to Nazareth, where he had been grown up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Ah, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Oh, oh my goodness, all of them were just fulfilled with praise. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words. And then came to him and said, he said, wait a minute, wait, wait. Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. 
He said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Oh, when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. Ah, but he passed the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of our Lord. Physical growth happens by nature. We are born. We learn to walk. We develop skill and personality. We get jobs. The body moves in one direction. It's unavoidable. Spiritual growth is less a given. There are experiences that demand an engagement of our faith. The first time you fall in love, or hold a child, or say the 23rd Psalm for someone you have loved a long time. These and other experiences become part of our faith journey, but these alone will not develop faith as it could be. Through the journey of our life, for our faith to grow, sometimes we need to ask for directions. So it was the summer of 1983, I was in seminary and I was doing a internship in Falling Springs, Virginia, Western Virginia. I was there, there were three small congregations, rural congregations that shared one pastor, Pastor Steve. I was his summer help. Steve called me and he said, Tom, I need you to go visit Clemmer Byer. He said, I don't have time to tell you where he lives, so just go and ask Mr. Armantrout. He can tell you how to get to the buyer place. Mr. Armantrout, he ran a grocery store, bait shop, gas station that was just sort of actually near at the end of the church driveway. So I walked into Armantrout's, they called it. I walked into Armantrout's. There were some guys playing checkers over in the corner. I told Mr. Armantrout, I need to get to the buyer place. He said, well... You go down 220 past the bridge and then turn right up toward the holler. When you get past the place where Dewey Martin puts his hay, you turn left and the buyer place is about one mile down on the right. You'll see his Ford truck, his blue Ford truck in the drive. I said, so let me get this right. I go down 220 past the bridge, turn right toward the holler, whatever that is. And when I see the hay, I turn left. He said, son, there's no hay there now. You, it's where he puts it when he puts it up. I said, so, so I go to the place where there once has been hay. And he says, and will be again. And I turned left there, he said, exactly. 
Realizing this was as helpful as Mr. Armantrout was going to be, I decided to try my best. As I was walking out, I heard him say to the checkers players, you don't have to be very bright to be a preacher these days, thinking there's going to be hay put up now. By a miracle of God, I found the buyer place and we had a good visit. But for a lot of journeys, for a lot of journeys, sometimes we need directions. Now, now today, if I wanted to find the buyer place, I could just ask Siri as long as Siri could stay connected in those hollers. But for spiritual journey, which we also need directions for, what we do is we ask the tradition. We ask those who have gone before us if we want to be attuned to God. Where do we look? If we want to recognize God's presence and work in our world and in our lives, what do we need to do? Where do we find God? Now, spiritual journeys, see if this rings true for you, spiritual journeys are often fed by experiences that we don't plan or anticipate. Like the video says, falling in love or having a child or sometimes just a meaningful conversation with friends or just recognizing the beauty of God's creation. A couple of weeks ago, Carol and I took a trip to Alaska. It was stunningly beautiful. One evening, we took an excursion to go out to look for whales, watch, whale watching. I didn't know how that was going to work. It was beyond expectations. They did not disappoint. For about an hour, we watched a number of whales, including a, a mother humpback and her calf that just played on the surface, breaching and diving and spouting. It was amazing and spiritual. Sometimes God just interrupts whatever it is you're doing. Sometimes God just shows up. But a meaningful, a growing, a, a maturing spiritual life seldom blossoms based on these unexpected experiences alone. No, a, a mature and vibrant life of faith requires some intentionality, some pursuit of the holy. And so for that, we're wise to look to the, tra the tradition, those who have walked faith before us, and say, where did you find God? Where did you experience the holy in your life and in the world? What would you teach us? In this series, Roger and I want to share some of the wisdom of the tradition of those who have gone before. And the first and most obvious response they give us is Scripture. The strange and familiar stories of Scripture provide us insight into the working of God in the world. They train our eyes, if you will. They train our hearts to see God alive in us and in the world. Now, the Bible is not a magic book. It's not. It, it was written by ordinary men and women, people just like you and me. 
But through the generations, readers of these stories, people of faith, they've gathered around these words, and their testimony has been that these stories continue to inspire and instruct and to train our hearts to recognize God alive among us. And to put the message of Scripture very simply, very simply, it teaches two things. The first is it teaches that you belong to God, the promise of your baptism. You are a child of God. There is a holy love that calls you by name. And secondly, the Scripture shows us that we are not home yet, that life is not yet as it should be, that there is a promised day And toward that day, God is always pulling and pushing and leading and wooing us to that better life. Now, this is not just true for you and me. Jesus himself, as spiritually grounded and vibrant as he was, Jesus himself rehearsed Scripture to find his own name etched in there to find his own name as part of this story. He, he goes to the synagogue, and the first thing he does is he takes the scroll, the Scripture, and he reads it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. It was words hundreds of years old that he pulls out of the mouth of the old prophet Isaiah. But in these old words, Jesus finds his definition. He finds his own calling, his own purpose. He reads these words and declares, this is happening today among us. God is doing this right now, even among us. Sometimes Scripture works like that. You read it, and you realize you're not reading about someone else. You're reading yourself. You're reading about yourself. Sometimes Scripture works like that. And, and the stories that we carry with us, they shape us. They're not just a source of insight. Scripture's not something we simply understand. It's something we stand under. It is something that shapes how we are and who we are in the world. I I read uh, about Sadia Abed. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, Sadia Abed. She is a student at Blue Valley West High School. She started a club at Blue Valley called The Future is Female. It began as a club at Blue Valley in 2020, and by today, it has become a nonprofit that sponsors similar clubs in other high schools in six different states. When asked why she started a club called The Future is Female, she said she grew up in a house where she was taught that she mattered, that she was important. She said, my mom gave me the same chores she gave my brother. She taught me that I was valid and important. She said, but I got to high school and I got girlfriends and I realized not all of them grew up with that narrative. Not all of them grew up believing that and they were haunted with self-doubt. And I thought, I can do something about that. 
we can create a different narrative. We can carry a different story with us. Sadia Abid knows that the stories you carry with you, they shape how you live. They influence what you see in the world and in yourself. We need no more reminder than just today's date, 9-11, to remind us that every day there are confusing voices. Every day there are evil options. We live in a world that is chaotic. And Scripture does not provide a road map for us. But it does tell a story that lets us know who we are to be in the midst of the storm, who we are to be in the midst of the chaos. Scripture is where Jesus himself found his own story. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said. I have come to preach and to release and to free and to bring good news I'm here to point to God's promised day. Jesus found a story for which he would give his life, and he found that story in Scripture. Now, let me say it again. It's not a magic book, and there are parts of Scripture that are more than problematic. Given it was written centuries ago, how could it not be? Given that it was written centuries ago in a different culture for different people, and every writer was limited by his and her place in, script, in, in history. And every reader is limited by his or her place in history. Nevertheless, the testimony of the church is that by the providence of God, these ancient texts can change us. They help us see what we couldn't see otherwise, even rereading the same old familiar stories of gift-bearing magi, of surprisingly good Samaritans, of Jesus breaking and blessing bread, of, of sweat-soaked angels from pushing away a tombstone. These stories, they change us. My, my friend, Scott Black Johnston, he's pastor at Fifth Avenue Church, colleagues with my daughter, Sarah. Scott has just released a wonderful book called Elusive Grace, and in it, Scott tells a story about Reverend Craig Barnes. I know Craig, but I did not know this story. You know Craig, too. Craig is the retiring president of Princeton Theological Seminary, and before he was president at Princeton, he was the first professor at Pittsburgh Seminary to hold the Robert Manili Chair for Ministry and Leadership. Dr. Bob went to Pittsburgh, and I suppose after Fred Rogers, Dr. Bob is Pittsburgh's most famous graduate, and there's a chair for ministry that is there in his name, and Craig Barnes is the first person to hold that chair. Barnes said he grew up in a preacher's house. His father was a preacher and believed that his sons had two boys. They 
should know Scripture. And so Craig said the drill was every Monday he would hand them a Scripture verse, and they were to memorize it over the week. And, and, and that Craig and his brother, when they got to the Saturday evening dinner table, their dad would call out chapter and verse, and they were to recite the words. And he said if they didn't get it right, they were dismissed from the table without dinner. He said by the time he was in high school, he knew a lot of Scripture, not so much out of a love for the book, but he preferred the fried chicken on Saturday nights, and so he knew how the system worked. He said, but the Scripture was in me. And this is the part I did not know. Craig had a dark season in his life. Unexpectedly, his father walked out of their home. The shock and grief of being abandoned proved too much for his mother, who also walked out of her home. Craig's older brother left college, came home to help Craig finish high school. They were alone, and it was scary. And then Craig said they decided to take a big risk. They decided that they were going to hitchhike to Texas. They thought their mom had gone to Texas, and so they were going to hitchhike from Long Island, New York, to Texas to find a mother who had left them. He said one evening they were walking some back roads in West Virginia. It was dark, and it was cold, and it began to snow. And he said it was just too much. He said he told his brother, the world has forgotten us. We have no place. I feel like my life is disposable. A few minutes later, Craig said, his brother said, Craig, Romans 8, 35. He said, who can separate us from the love of God? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Craig said, Psalm 119, your word, O Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. He said, for the next hour, they brought to life the scripture that was embedded in them. He said he couldn't get through it without crying when his brother said, Craig, you remember Isaiah 43. Do not fear. I have called you by name. You are precious in my sight. I love you. You are mine. The bold claim of Christian faith is not simply that God exists, but that God chooses to speak to us, to show something of God's own heart to us, to let us know that we are loved. The story of this book is a story of a holy love that calls you by name and will never let you go. And maybe, maybe you will sense that when you see the whales or hold a newborn or witness a sunset. But Scripture will teach you who the God is you meet in those moments. That seems to be what happens for Jesus. 
He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach and release the captive, to set the prisoner free, to bring good news to the the poor. As spiritually grounded as Jesus was, it was the gift of this book that helped him see who he was in this world. I think that's true for you too and for me. Scripture teaches us that we belong. I also said that Scripture, scripture teaches us that we're not home yet, that life is not as it is to be. Now, I'm not going to say any more about that today, mostly because I'm just back and maybe on probation, and I've already talked enough, so I'm not going to drag it out so long. We'll return to that later in the series. So today... I just want to say as we begin a new program year, I want to invite you to sometime this year, do something that connects you with the stories of Scripture. Go to a class. We have them Sunday mornings. We have them through the week. They're men's groups. They're women's groups. They're young adults groups. Join a Village Connect group. It's a good time of year to do that. You can watch the videos and have conversation with people you care about and who care about you. Look, some people do this kind of thing all the time. Others never do. You don't need to do it all the time. But do something. Find something that connects you with these old stories. Because I think if you do, you will discover or you will be reminded, and we all need to be reminded, that you are loved by a holy love that calls you by name. And of course, come to worship. Because here, every week, We will rehearse and gather around these old words. We will rehearse them again and again and again until they are in us. And as we know, the stories we carry, they shape us. They they inform what we see in, in the world and in ourselves. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.